0: From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in patented Boundaryless, Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Steven McGregor, and I make nice games. I'm Martha Croy. I, too, make nice games. Martha's on assignment this week on a quest to slay the dragon. And so, on this co-op recap episode, we've invited developer Lane Davis and writer Felix Foster to talk about this month's Glitch co-op talk topic, Transmedia and Intellectual Property. And so, everyone's ready. Let's start. Welcome, everyone.
1: Hi. Thank you. Oh, wait. Who yeah. else is here?
0: <laughs> uh, we've got Adia back, uh, who is here for our last Co-op Talk recap and is uh, doing a little fill-in for Martha, right? Yeah. And you're yeah. here to, say, shepherd these fellas into the world of being on a Co-op Recap episode.
2: Yeah. Which is poignant, considering that every Co-op Talk someone brings on Mass Effect. True.
3: <laughs> this is true. Much appreciated. This place is
4: terrifying. <laughs> you guys will be fine. You guys did a great job. I, I like to think we're nice. You know, because they're nice games. (laughs) I wanted to say, I wanted to say, I think
3: I love what you guys have done with the place. You have a really neat games club here.
0: (laughs) Uh, So Adia, tell them a little bit about what they're up against.
1: Yeah, so I had a very amazing podcast last time. Of course you (laughs) did. But anyways, basically, um, you're kind of just going over how the co-op talk went, some points that came up, discussions that you thought were interesting, and things you may want to talk about either further or things you want to bring up to kind of let people know about your topic and kind of what you want to get out of the co-op talk.
4: We yeah. haven't actually explained what co-op talk is. Yeah, that For those might of help you who don't too. know, Basically, we um, come to Glitch and we have a topic every month and we talk about uh, related to video games. This month's topic was transmedia. Uh, Do you guys want to elaborate more on what transmedia is?
3: Certainly, yeah. Transmedia is a huge topic Mm -hmm. in games because it it reaches its fingers into a lot of places. I mean, we could could start with um, from... Well, a definition I guess yes I mean, I guess. Yeah, so it's like it's like if you take a story or a character um, from a from like, like let's say Luke Skywalker for example like he exists in a movie mm-hmm. but then he's also in games in role playing games he's in books mm-hmm. so it's, it's taking it's taking one thing and like uh, uh Moving it to another another uh, type of media.
0: Yeah. Okay. So maybe start with um you know you the way the way co op talks generally work is the facilitators will ask questions of the group and so uh, that gets the sort of discussion started. So what was the first thing you thought to ask us and why?
2: Uh, Yeah, we just did an icebreaker that was just like why like do you play games that have been translated to other media or have you enjoyed other forms of media that have been based on games or turned into games and do you like them or not?
4: Yeah, I remember you guys specifically asked um, which was, well, or one interpretation you thought was really good and one was really bad. Right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, one that always jumps out to me is E.T. Extra- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it's, I mean, a lot of people consider that movie to be a classic, but then you see the games, and they literally dump them into uh, a ditch. <laughs> so, why was the Atari version of that game so bad? And I believe the game was just not fun. Like, you would oftentimes find yourself jumping into pits for no reason. Yeah, the short story of that is it was a rush job. <clears> they <throat> needed to get out in time for, I don't even think
0: it was released with the movie, but mm. it was like a, they just told one guy at Atari, you've got, I think, three weeks to do this property. And that was the, you know, it's seen not just as uh, an example of a terrible game, but as an example of that idea of, of translating a property from one to another, that market-driven Motivations Mm -hmm. uh, leading to you know sort of a bastardization of the art. Yep, Um, which is exactly this is very related to this. Yeah, from
3: Mm -hmm. the developer's point of view, that does make it incredibly attractive. If you're able to like tell the story or uh, give the audience a rough idea of what they're supposed to do Mm -hmm. [3] without uh, without having to put that in the game, that lets you that lets you save an enormous amount of development time.
2: That's true. I mean, of Mm -hmm. course, it
3: can go very very (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, it's it's interesting talking with developers about that sticking point, too, because I think that's the one that always comes up is like the artistic vision or like the desire to actually make this game and translate this media versus it just being market driven. But like a lot of developers that do a lot of the market driven work, that's like their cash cow. And so they have mixed feelings because like nobody wants to make a bad game. Mm -hmm. But like you'll hear that in Hollywood, too. Like nobody wants to make a bad movie, Mm. but there's a lot of them. Yeah. (laughs) I kind of wish that
4: Matt Gravel was here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. uh, He talked a lot about that. Yeah. he He works at Gravel. Here
4: uh, locally in Minnesota, and he has made. He and his team has made have made a lot of those kind of games, a a bunch of Disney games. Yeah, Yeah, they get contracted mm -hmm. for for mobile properties and stuff
0: like that. And and it's interesting because you can see it as a like a a noble effort, like you know, to bring real development talent to a license, but it also has different schedules than other types of properties do, different demands. And uh yeah, we should have him on to talk
4: about it. Yeah, I just I just wish he had showed up today because that would have been an interesting discussion. I'm calling you
2: out Matt. Yeah. Where <laughs> are you at, man? Well that was another interesting part about our co op talk tonight is that it was a lot more low key and like Close knit glitch crew than Mm -hmm. it usually is. We usually get like some people that have come to one or two events, but tonight it was just solely people that are here every day.
0: Mm -hmm. We might have to put that on us because we did make put out the call for people to come, and it had the opposite effect. Oh (laughs) yeah, I suppose.
2: <laughs> it's but that's also right after the weekend of Gamecraft. Actually, so. that's a I mean, super this good is point. true. Yeah, yeah
0: we've all just uh, it'll be a while before that you the listener will hear this episode, but we're just coming off of a uh, 48-hour game jam, global game jam yeah. and we're all having well, I think we're all getting back into the world, mm-hmm. but it's—I uh, could see why people were like, "I don't want any events this week."
3: <laughs> also, I'll throw out another excuse. This was a heady topic.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. We were, mm-hmm. I mean, there were there was a lot of like very um,
3: philosophical things thrown out. Yeah. But also, even as the facilitator, I felt like, man, there were there were dozens of games thrown out that people were talking about that I just hadn't played. Oh yeah. And it was a very like maybe not a high barrier to entry because it never is. No. But I felt like in order to maximally
2: participate in this one, it was a little harder than normal. Well, mm-hmm. okay. because. It's transmedia, like it's not just like talk about this video game. It's you need to have experience this video game and the movie that it's made from or the book about it. Uh-huh.
0: Yes. There were a couple instances where one person asked another, like, I haven't read those thirty books. <laughs> <laughs> Are they okay? <laughs> yeah.
1: But there also is kind of fear for certain um, transmedia. Like some people will play one version, really love it, and then they hear like, Oh, there's gonna be a movie or a book made about it, and they're like, I'm not touching that. So for me, if I play a video game and a movie comes out, I'll go watch it. Kind of the fan person in me, I want to go see it. I'm like, okay. And usually in a lot of those movies, there's a lot of nod and winking to the fans like, oh, Mm -hmm. you play this game, here's a bunch of scenes you like. And it's not a big investment as a game. For a game, you're putting lots of hours. For a movie, you're sitting down for maybe an hour and a half, two hour enjoyment. But when they take a movie and translate it into a game, usually I don't like those transmedia translations because not only do you have to take that two hour and put it in a game with mechanics and plus keep motivation for investment for more like six to eight hours depending on how long the game is Mm -hmm. usually it's very hard to do that right like yeah like we talked about (laughs) the lego movies and the lego games even though it's a toy i mean that was cool but i'm trying to think i can't think of a single example where there's a movie they made a game and i really like the game
2: you know, I think a, a big part of that is probably the production schedule, too, because uh, I know we talked a lot tonight about uh, Telltale and the legacy yeah. games, and both of those, they get more or less free reign to work with the properties that they're given. Like, they just license them off, whereas a lot of the ones that are more market-driven are like, this movie's coming out on this day, the video game needs to come out on this day, and then all the producers get their fingers in it, too. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm.
4: You know it was a good game? That was, uh, I mean, a movie that also made a good game was Spider-Man. The first I, 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 we were which
1: Spider Man that's well, a huge.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, me and my brother we uh, loved the first Spider Man a lot, but the second Spider Man was also excellent in the video game. Both video games, yeah, the video games and the movie, not necessarily the movie based games. on the Sam Raimi movies. Yes, okay, yes.
0: There were there were Spider Man games before that.
4: Oh yeah, yeah of course, yeah, and I, we like those too. But um, me and my brother played those Spider Man games a ton, like hmm. hours and hours, because they had all these extra cheats and stuff you can. Uh-huh. And, like you could play as green goblin, and he had a different set of mm-hmm. abilities, like he could run really fast for mm-hmm. some reason. and yeah. <laughs> he had his glider he can use. It was.
2: I think Spider-Man 2, I do remember being quite good. Yes, mm-hmm. and
4: I remember it was really well reviewed at the time too. Yeah. Well, you describe it
0: what you liked about it in term in gameplay terms. Yeah, yeah. it had cheats, it had exploits, the things that are fun about yeah. like a PS2 era game. Yeah, um, and so that's interesting about what makes a successful transmedia like you know uh, a destination, like going from one to another. Um, and we talked about a couple of really good examples, um, mm-hmm. guys. What were the best ones that that you thought?
3: Well, what got thrown out very very early. Was uh, the game missed? Oh yeah, and that was a wonderful example that Sarah came up with because those are two things that really need each other. Like those books, yeah. would have been very uh, generic. I think fantasy, mm. maybe a little sci-fi, mm-hmm. and wouldn't have taken off without the game. And the game doesn't make a lot of sense without the books. <laughs> so the two of them create a much better whole when either of them is is apart.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would yes. I would take con- I would contend with the the idea that the games. Need the books, but they're definitely enriched by it and but I would agree that the books need the game to give you that kind of like experiential feeling that first person that the game gives you mm-hmm. that makes that that the fiction of that world so much more uh, automatically compelling
4: um yeah, that's an re- excellent example that we yeah. and we talked about I don't that. think we touched about it in the talk, but like I'm interested how you guys feel does does uh transmedia like have a responsibility not necessarily a responsibility but like um to enhance the previous works and and different media forms like you were talking about with Myst uh, the books um, enhance the game a lot because you've got context and you got understood why the heck you were doing all these things Um, that's such an interesting question and
3: I I think it absolutely can yeah Um, but I think that part of the of what it can do also Mm -hmm. is just take an existing thing and bring it to an audience that wouldn't otherwise participate with it Mm -hmm. so okay so this is a bit of a bad example But the Lego movie does both of those things. So not only does it take something and expand it, but it also brings it to an audience like me who hasn't played with Legos in 10 years Mm. and all of a sudden I'm like excited about it. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that, I think that like in terms of your, your obligation, You should be doing one of the, at least one of those two things. I don't think that you necessarily have to create something that the other part feels lesser without. Okay. Yeah,
1: I agree with that as well because when you have a certain storyline, it should be able to stand alone without having the transmedia needed to have a core understanding of the Mm -hmm. game. For example, um, I read the Overwatch comics, never played Overwatch. And you and don't work. Yeah, you don't need to read the comics to understand the story. And overruns there, it's not that deep. But <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, though, um, and I feel for a lot of games, we brought up things like uh, Fable and Skyrim and other games where in the world the storyline is there. But if you really want to go deeper, they have kind of like books that you can read to get more lore and So I feel mm-hmm. like for those who want to kind of to go deeper in the story to have those add-ons that enrich the experience, like you're saying, it's really good.
3: I love that you have like a boss rush mode to help your like um, core like really uh, competitive players <laughs> have extra credit. Yeah, why not have extra credit for narrative players as
2: well? Yeah, I think that the obligation that I think of is just to make a good piece of work. Yeah, like that should be the the forward thought as opposed to like make a good translation or make a good you know whatever mm-hmm. because a lot of times. That actually I'd say most of the times when video games are concerned video game movies or movie video games and video game books even are thought of as being terrible <laughs> <laughs> and It's just because there are so many that are bad yeah. but I think that they're going to them from the perspective of like we just need to take this title and the content that's given to us and make it into this other form of media, right. and it would be a lot better if they started from like, let's make a good this form of media and adapt it to these
0: characters. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. There's a difference between, uh, and we talked about both, but there's a difference between adaptation and like a transmedia enterprise. You know, um, that that r- r- that I feel like the ones that do it well really leverage the the the, the medias that they're either translated to or the or, or origin of. Um, whereas adaptations tend to sort of have a different, different uh, set of baggage, perhaps, but they, they cross over. A lot of them are the same, but certainly,
3: yeah. Another example that came up was uh, Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic. Oh yeah, and, it came uh, up a lot.
5: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and
3: and that I mean it perfectly leveraged the decision making that you can do in a game. Uh, especially a narrative game like that, because it, like, like Shanti was saying, it lets you explore the sides of the force mm-hmm. and the idea of neutrality within that universe in a way that the films couldn't, but can within a system like, like the D and D type structure that it has. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it lets you explore what good and evil mean in that world. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, and it gives you a, an environment to, yeah, to to dive deeper, and uh, then a movie would. Be, a movie would be irresponsible if it was that complicated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Oh. Um, but, uh, you know, for fans who think about these things, like, that's the, that is the correct venue to dig deeper, even if it's never touched on in the sort of parent material.
4: Yeah, that's a beautiful thing to be able to do that.
1: But <laughs> I think they also had the benefit that they were going off a property that already had kind of a world built in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they were able to kind of put it with a lot of adaptions, they just have the one two hour movie.
2: Well, right, it's right. also Bioware. Yeah. Yeah. Although I think Star Wars is a great example, too, because, um, like, Boba Fett is, like, one of the most loved characters that gets all of, like, two minutes of screen time. <laughs> but the bounty hunter game for PlayStation 2 is a lot of fun, and I think that a story, like, a movie about him would have to have some kind of compelling narrative, and, like, just as a character, he doesn't have that big of a background. Like, he's a bounty hunter, so, like... <laughs> Watching Killab- I mean, John Wick was a decent movie, but other than that, it probably wouldn't be that exciting. But as a video game, it's like, oh, okay, go here and here and here and shoot these people. Like- I
1: think the same thing happened with Assassin's Creed. Like The games are fun, the movie didn't translate well.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I want to throw out a quick counter-example. I think that the... Uh- Short story. I have no mouth, but I must scream. Oh, uh, was a is an example of a short story that produced almost no world whatsoever. But the game takes it and vastly expands on mm-hmm. it and lets you see other sides of
4: all the all the characters. Mm-hmm. I don't know if any of you have ever played. Them,
1: nope, got to put on my list yeah.
4: though. <laughs> I, I've heard of. I heard a ton about it, and it's it's definitely um, a good game. I've heard from that. Mm-hmm. isn't that kind of like a horror game though it's a, it, it's oh, horrific <laughs>
3: <laughs> it doesn't have it doesn't have jump scares okay but it is scary in what it makes you think about when you're done playing oh, so oh i going to describe anyways. that to Steven okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it like System Shock 2 yeah okay yeah okay yeah that same sort of like lurks in your mind afterwards oh, okay mm-hmm. yeah. interesting
0: you know that so that is one of the big ways of doing it right, which is to take something that is simple, clean, um, impactful, and then build it out uh, through another media. But the other one that uh, I think Lane you brought up was my nicest of 2016, uh, Star Trek Ascendancy, <laughs> which, which takes a very complicated, rich world and distills its essence through game mechanics. Uh, in they this, did a this really good game.
1: job on that. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: and, and and like. That is a complete. It's almost the opposite of what we were describing as a successful transmedia enterprise. But uh, to use a phrase, but <laughs> that, but it, it also does it. So mm-hmm. how do you explain that?
2: I was going to say I think that um, with board games, it's actually a lot easier in terms of development than video games because. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of people that our board games are sold to, especially big, like, gigantic six hour long board games like that one, (laughs) are people who care about mechanics and board games and who care about that kind of thing. So the developers are going into it thinking, okay, what are the mechanics here? And have that very present in their mind. Whereas, like, just uh, if the Star Trek video game, for example, that came out after the most recent reboots of the movies, is kind of garbage because (laughs) they're just like, okay, we don't need to worry about mechanics. We're just like trying to put Kirk and Spock on the screen. Yeah. There
1: you go. But I feel like this was a good example where um, the game mechanics actually matched the narrative and the feel of what they wanted you from the different races. Because uh-huh. I was playing the Federation, and one of the things is that you can't actually like take over a world. You have to, what, what is it, Hegemonize? Hegemonize, yeah. Hegemonize? And that's
2: homogenized. Homogenized.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but no, but I seriously kind of felt as the Federation was going around, okay, you know, I can't take over. And I, when I look over the people just like taking over things, it's like they can't do that. Because then I can't save them, but like that's not the whole thought process And then i there's a lot of other ones, especially the other races that lend game mechanics to make you think of the narrative and kind of tie into story. And even someone who like likes Star Trek, but not well versed in it, I still kind of got the understanding of what was supposed to be going
4: on there. I love how um, cool the, the Romulans are. They're they're a little passive. Is that um, you can do trade agreement? This game is kind of really weird in that like you can just like communicate. With, you're supposed to. The goal is really to communicate with other people, and you want to make you can make trade agreements. Um, but the Romulans, um, who I played quite a bit, uh, they are discouraged from trading because when they get trade agreements, they don't get the benefits from that trade agreement until the turn, the next turn. So you don't, if you are in a trade with somebody, you don't want to lose that trade. And if you are, aren't in a trade with somebody, you don't, you're encouraged to not do that. Mm-hmm. Which was—it's
0: fascinating. Well, it, it, it's uh, well, I described it in the talk as way more role playing than you expect. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, yep. and and the and it's interesting to watch some of you guys play it because you're you're not as familiar with Star Trek as I am, which is it's like it's part of my blood. Mark is a <laughs> super <laughs> and to see you guys like totally get it through essentially this, uh, it, you know, it's a twenty-page rule book, but like the Star Trek Encyclopedia is like thirteen thousand pages. So, <laughs> but yet you seem to know as much about what Star Trek is just through those. Board game mechanics, and yeah. I'm shocked at how well that worked. Yeah. Well, the
3: artfulness uh, of it, I think, is partially in the twelve words that describe the Romulans' suspicious trait. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that, that they lead you to uh, to to like despise the other people around you yeah. so much. Yep, and fear them taking advantage. Yep, exactly. Yeah. When I play Romulans, I try to stay away from people as much as possible initially. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think to to distill what games do that uh, film doesn't is. Uh, a, a film can make you feel like a character, and it can it can, but mostly it shows you things. Yeah. Or, whereas in a game, uh, you moment to moment decisions are affected by uh, the rules that surround you. Yeah. And if those rules um, make you feel like something that you normally aren't, mm-hmm. or create a feeling of symmetry between what decisions you're making and what the characters in the show might be making, then it's it's done something and shown you something about those characters that nothing else can only games can
2: do that yeah yeah,
1: I agree like I feel like the, a Mass Effect movie could never translate how the game kind of made people feel like that would be right. something that wouldn't translate well
2: yeah well and it's interesting we didn't talk about it we had a few brief conversations about um the Different forms of media and how, like, what counts as transmedia and what doesn't, but we didn't get much further. I was happy that we got to board games because that's one that people don't often think of, too. Mm-hmm. But I would think that any form of media would count, like a painting, even. It's like, yeah, there's a painting of something from fact, yeah. that's a transmedial property at mm-hmm. that point, right? And so it's it's definitely very dependent. I think on in terms of how well it's going to be executed, depending on the restrictions of that other form of media. And I think like length is the biggest one because most movies are about two hours. Most video games, especially like mass Effect ones, are anything from like eight to one hundred and sixty hours. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got you know TV shows that are half hour, an hour, but multiple times, and then mm-hmm. books, which can range. So it's it's all over the place in terms. And then also um, the other big thing that comes into it and. A lot of discussions I've heard about transmedia uh, hinge on the amount that the person experiencing it has influence over it. And so that's one of the things that separates video games out from a lot of the other forms of media. is just that like, you're driving it along, whereas you're passively watching a movie and like there's the argument about you know books, putting your imagination into it. But even then, you're still just reading what someone else wrote. And so it's a mm-hmm. whole thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The the strength of games has always been that that agency in the narrative, and and I know we're always talking here at Glitch about finding ways to tell stories using game mechanics. And it seems like a transmedia property is uniquely positioned to think about doing that, Mm -hmm. whereas many games think about it almost in the opposite way, where they come up with a cool game mechanics and then they attach story to it. Yeah. Um, But if you're working with a a property, um, you have to either emulate. The feelings or thinkings of that property, or you have to adapt it in a way, so it just sort of naturally puts you in a position to a try harder, which sort of is strange <laughs> because in the end, the reputations of these things are not very good, and so it's uh, I'm, it almost surprises me there aren't more successes. Yeah,
1: Zelda. Um, like I, I brought this up previous podcast, but uh, The Legend of Zelda had Choose Your Own Adventure books. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, another transmuted property. I actually. Thoroughly enjoyed those because it actually explored some things in the Zelda world that weren't explained in the um, actual video games. And so because of that, I was able to get uh, a deeper understanding. But I really enjoyed that they kind of kept that agency when they Mm. translated into another medium that you kind of had in the game. And that same kind of feel when you're fighting like you turn to page six, oh no, you're surrounded by skeletons. What do you do? And then you're like, I'm going to do this. (laughs) And then you die and you cheat and just go back and see what you're (laughs) going to do. But But I feel like... um, It's a great point. When you have something that has agency and something that doesn't, you have to be very careful how you translate that. Mm -hmm. That's why I feel like I like video games to movies, but not movies to video games.
0: Right. Uh, Someone, uh, was it Elaine who talked about the waterfall of media types? I thought so.
3: I thought so. I had a a, a little pet theory I was turning over earlier (laughs) today. And that is that... Movies have, compared to books, mm-hmm. more things that they can do to entertain the audience mm-hmm. other than narrative. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like games ha- also have more tools at their disposal to entertain than movies do. Mm-hmm. So my, my waterfall was that uh, I would I would watch a movie that had been a book, but not always the other way around. Mm-hmm. And I would play a game that had been a movie and not always the other way around.
4: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And, and there was an extra credits uh, episode entitled why are there no good video game movies mm-hmm. <laughs> but there was no episode entitled why are there no good movie video games because yeah. I think
4: there's a there's a few there are there are a few like I said the um the uh, spider-man games those are excellent yeah. Yeah. I
1: enjoy Star Wars Battlefront too but
4: Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's based off of a, that yeah. kind of counts. <laughs> it's, it's based in the world, anyways. That's transmedia at the very least. Yeah yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. It's, it's, Adia, you were talking about the, like, the choose your own adventure. And I, it, it made me think about, like, a, a discussion we, we had uh, during the co op talk, which is a uh, transmedia that barely crosses borders, right? Things that are, in your case, two types of games. Yeah. But one game that is more uh, conducive to, like, a more traditional narrative approach, and one that is, is famously withholds information from the player. Um, but still, with that sense of agency, yeah, and so we talked a little bit about like a, a, like a batman game and a telltale batman game does that i mean what uh, the motivations for moving it from one to the other from a market perspective, from an artistic perspective um, it's interesting how the more we talk about it, the more of a jumbled ball of spaghetti it becomes in
2: terms of how we define things, mm-hmm. you know, um, but yeah, I thought that was really interesting. you get that too, in like just keep coming up to Mortal Kombat because there's so much <laughs> trans- <laughs> in the Mortal Kombat franchise apparently but uh, they have Mortal Kombat Tetris and Mortal Kombat Chess which are wait what? yeah <laughs> wait.
4: <laughs> oh. so,
2: and so you're playing by the rules of chess and Tetris but then rather than like the rules that like say if I, you know, take your knight or something, I just take it because of the rules of chess, you then have to have a moral combat fight between <laughs> you and your characters about it. <laughs> so it's like is that a different form of chess or hmm. is chess
4: transmedial? Uh,
3: I feel like you could argue chess is transmedial, mm. but it's transmedial um, because it tries to represent war. Oh, okay. It's so, like, <laughs> war is
0: transmedial, I guess. <laughs>
4: but say, I, I'm giving up the biggest shrug <laughs> right
0: now. Uh, uh-oh, Stephen. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> during the talk, we talked about, like, the... Uh, the monomyth yeah. and uh, there was another the journey there were some strong opinions about that being <laughs> the like quintessential transmedia uh, intellectual property and Stephen, you and I both thought no
4: i was like well okay so my opinion is uh stories or the story structure can't really be transmedia cuz it's not really in it's not like it's not an intellectual property it's just a story structure mm-hmm. so it, that doesn't seem to me as though it is transmedia i mean it certainly is seen all over the place it's in puzzle games it's in movies it's in books but I wouldn't call that transmedia. <laughs> the only reasonable counter that I could think of to that mm-hmm. would be to look
3: at a like old, old, old religious sort of collective unconscious sort of way. Yeah, in the sense that like all of those things could be said to represent the same character, like which is good. <laughs> oh. and you get to see you get to learn more of the aspects of good by uh-huh. watching it in. Many different forms among different media. That's an interesting perspective. So that's a very generous read, I guess, <laughs> but but that, that was that was what was in the back of my head when I was saying that. Oh,
2: okay. Well, I wonder, like, what about Romeo and Juliet, the original Shakespearean text, I was versus just like that. Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet? <laughs> those are completely different characters yeah. in a different time, yeah. speaking more or less the same. Yeah. <laughs> But.
0: Or even the the story that apparently is adapted from an old Russian myth oh. as well. So uh, right, yeah, I would
4: <laughs> I would argue that those are adaptations and not necessarily trans. Well, I suppose the Romeo and Juliet movies are technically transmedia because they were plays first, but uh, I would argue that those are more interpretations and different interpretations of mm-hmm. the same thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Lane, when you're talking about like the the, uh, the con- that, that broad uh, defense you were making for the yes. monomyth, yes. Um, it made me think about um, the thing I was really stuck on that we didn't get un- talk about enough, which is the, the role of the artist and uh, the idea of using uh, translating something from one media to another, or adapting it from one form to another, or modifying, and improving it, or sequelizing, or whatever, as a, a motivation of the artist rather than a motivation of the sort of corporate owner. You know, which is maybe that's a little bit loaded, but uh, and there's justifications for either motivation, but there's far fewer artists motivations to do that. I feel. I
1: don't know. I feel like when you start going to into the fanverse, whenever there is one medium, Mm -hmm. um, any fan that has really good skills in another medium would go ahead and create their own, like. If you watch a TV show that you really like and then you go ahead and turn to a comic and then you kind of put your own spin on it but see, keep the came, same characters in the same verse or if you saw a really good movie and you decided to make a video game on it. like If you go into the indie kind of fan scene, you mm-hmm. see that a lot, especially when you start getting into fan cast, fan comics, whatever. Um, but I feel like the moment money becomes involved, <laughs> uh, there's less incentive and the artist vision, I feel, it gets blurred a little right,
0: bit. Right, right. And there's many, actually many more examples of somebody who said, I've always wanted to adapt this book and they finally hired me to do it. So I think that is genuine. I think I'm talking more about uh, one artist who takes their own property from one media to another. Oh, okay. Um, which is, uh, I mean, maybe it's a weird thing to ask for, but I kind of wish more of that happened.
2: Well, I mm. think uh, part of the reason that that doesn't happen is just because, uh, I think it probably does happen, but we don't see it because of, like Adia was saying, with the the fan verse. Like, I'm sure that happens on like a lower scale, like people who just are more local writers or game developers or filmmakers or whatever making their things into other things. Mm-hmm. But again, like on the large scale capitalist side, AAA games, big Hollywood movies, they're, it's so rare for them to allow that kind of creative control to, like, you're not going to let J.K. Rowling direct the Harry Potter movie just because. Right. So. Well, yeah,
0: it took her eight movies, nine movies to write one, exactly. right? <laughs> so.
3: Right. And uh, well, Douglas Adams came up yes. during our conversation oh, yeah. as, as a person who is um, probably at the nexus of the most media types reached by a single uh, a single artist.
0: Yes. He's he's product. stumbled through all of it. <laughs> right.
3: And, and the nascency of some of those, like mm-hmm. how new games were and the low barrier to entry for yeah. text based games at that area uh, almost certainly played a part there. Um I, I, like how do you how do you, how do you see that that working in uh, in today's age?
0: You know, it's interesting. I suppose because uh, in Douglas Adams' case is he was almost you'd call him an auteur, but that's probably too generous. <laughs> what he was is just curious. And so he, you know, he works as a radio producer, and then okay, I can be a writer too, and oh, I guess I I guess I can produce this TV show about my thing, and like games are new. I'll find some people who can help me with that. So he seemed just curious about these new forms, and so it seems like the province these days of sort of a transmedia from a single artist perspective is going to be the indie dev. Yep. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the person who has access to. Many different ways. It's not going to be the director who's hired and then also somehow walks into Ubisoft and says, "Can I direct the game version of this?" Because <laughs> it just uh, this uh, you know you have to have multiple careers and multiple lifetimes to establish that in multiple well, media.
2: What's really interesting, and I mean like I don't know the specifics, but I'm just going to blame capitalism again. <laughs> is that, uh, we've actually recently had an example of that, which was the Power Rangers, the cast of the TV show that put together that little mini video on YouTube. that yeah. Everyone was like crazy for. It, it was like, oh, this should be a real that really dark really one, really cool yeah okay and then the actual owners of the property of power rangers were like no we're making our own movie and it looks bad
1: Still <laughs> <laughs> so, gonna watch and, it No one's <laughs> super
2: excited about it and so i was like well you have these people who were part of the original property who want to do a thing because they're passionate about it and they know it and then they're not allowed to and it gets passed off and now becomes another one of these translations that people don't really care about
0: mm-hmm a uh, similar thing happened with Star Trek recently. Uh, the There's a new Star Trek TV series coming very out. Very excited for that. Yeah, I'm way pumped. Um, but there's some fan produ- uh, producers who were making a fan film and they went to Kickstarter. And oh. so they raised like a million dollars. And oh, that's wow. kind of like, uh, CBS was like, all right, now we got to step in. And I uh, there's, it was very contentious, but it happened to coincide with a reemergence of Star Trek original material. And so, yeah, that, that nexus of a who gets to is really really interesting.
2: Yeah. Well, there's the games to games a lot recently with like Kickstarter and stuff like that, where mm-hmm. some developers from bigger games will go make their what do they call them spiritual successors? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Right. laughs> Mighty Number Nine. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I haven't seen one that's gotten great reviews yet, but. Mm-hmm.
0: So l- let's end on uh, on findings. So um, when you guys came in, you had a bunch of topics, a bunch of questions. What did you learn, and what was the takeaway?
3: I think. Fundamentally, we learned that, uh, and I'm clearly just stalling for time here. And looking at Felix, <laughs> Felix, Felix, he'll jump in and help me out here. Um, we learned we learned uh, that people had incredible fondness for certain franchises and for certain explorations of the same game mm-hmm. uh, along different medium. Um, we also learned that there were uh, some sore spots where people had gotten tired of seeing one game uh, in so many different forms. Yeah. Uh, and of course, uh, I think I think I think that. Yeah, I think the, the something that you said maybe five minutes ago, mm-hmm. Mark, um, uh, was was one of the big bottom lines today, which was that when translating, you have to use the strengths of the new media. Sure. And mm-hmm. I think every bad example that we came uh, that we found was one that that, that failed to do that.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I think my biggest takeaway was that, uh, in a similar vein, it seems like because so many of the people here tonight were interested in video games or are about game developers themselves you're much better equipped to pick out what was wrong mechanically with games sure. that had been translated from other media. And I think that's a big thing going forward in terms of making these things, that there needs to be more consideration of the people who already have experience in that media to step in and say, no, you can't make an Assassin's Creed movie because the whole reason Assassin's Creed is popular is you know, you get to run around on rooftops and <laughs> people. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a big part of it is just being aware of what mechanics make which media work the best, and then finding the people that understand that, rather than just like pasting, you know, a picture on some existing property already. Yeah. Although I will say that I called, um, <laughs> what's that, the Lord of the Rings game, um, Shadow of Mordor. Mm-hmm. I just referred to it as Batman, but with Lord of the Rings characters <laughs> because mechanically it's the same game. But it was a lot of fun.
1: I will <laughs> agree with you <laughs> on that one. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, um, for those of you who want to get in on this,
4: uh, Co-op Talk is every third
0: Thursday? I
4: think it's the third Thursday, but I feel like next, we will put them in, we'll the, put show in the show notes. Um, we'll put it in the <laughs> show notes, but be. it's
0: uh, free and open to all. So come and join us. Uh, we'll put the date in the show notes. Join us, just walk right in, discuss. And uh, at the end of each Co-op Talk, uh, we put uh, new ideas in a bowl, and we someone volunteers to be the facilitator for the, the following month. And it can be anybody, and uh, then we invite those people to come and join us here on the show. So if you want to be on Nice Games Club, you want to talk to us, uh, you want to facilitate... uh, uh, Co op talk. It's not that hard, right, guys? It's
2: not hard at all. Katie does most of the work for you. (laughs) That's true. And the only reason I volunteered was to get on the podcast. (laughs) You Uh, could just
4: ask to be on the podcast.
0: (laughs) Well, whatever your motives, uh, come down to Co op Talk and join us. It'll be a blast. Now, you guys, Felix, Lane, uh, people are going to want to know more about you. Where can they find you online? And uh, just give us a little bit of a little bio on the way out.
3: Sure, yeah, you can find me and all of my work at
2: escapeindustries.net
4: Yo, we work together, (laughs) (laughs) y'all
2: I'm still in debate with my URL for my website but uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and every other form of social media at Felix244
0: Yeah, we'll put all that in the show notes, so thanks guys for joining us that's our show. So, if you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app. Be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. Uh, it's really important. We're still pretty new, but we're starting to enter our adolescence now, perhaps, maybe toddlerhood. Um, but we want those iTunes reviews. We want those uh, th- that feedback. So, uh, send it our way if you liked the show. Uh, we want to also hear directly from you. So, follow us on Twitter, all the other things as well at Nice Games Club. Let us know how we're doing, send us your topics, and ask us your questions. Lastly, you can hear more about the show and your nice host, as well as get all the links and notes from this episode at nicegames.club. So until we start again, remember to play
4: nice and make nice.